From our 901 Mission Street studios, you are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Welcome to the big event and Bohemian Rhapsody Day on the podcast. Very excited to have Rami Malek, Gwilym Lee, and Joseph Mazzello on today. Malek, of course, is a star of Mr. Robot. Mazzello is probably most recognizable as a child actor. He was John Hammond's grandson in Jurassic Park. But we're talking about Queen today. Malek, Lee, and Mazzello star as Freddie Mercury, Brian May, and bassist John Deacons in the new biopic Bohemian Rhapsody. The movie, which opens November 2nd, plays almost like a concert film. The music scenes are immersive and transportive. Whether we're at Live Aid with the band in 1985 or watching them lay down a classic track in a rundown farmhouse turned into a studio. Galileo! Galileo How was that? Higher. Can you go a bit higher? If I go any higher, only dogs will hear me. Try. Higher. Jesus, how many more Galileos do you want? One more, one more. One more. Again. Go on, roll the track. Who even is Galileo? Are we done? That's it. He loves you. Even though I love Queen, like these actors, and really enjoyed the film, I was torn whether this was going to work as a big event episode. Generally, we talk to people who have Bay Area ties or want to talk about Bay Area things. Luckily, that was not a problem. Rami Malek stormed in the Big Event Archive studio, not in a jerk way, but a cool star kind of way, and immediately started looking through our historic files on the walls. He demanded to see the 1906 earthquake photos, which we found for him, and began rifling through my notebook at one point before we started recording. Normally that would bug me, but I think he was legitimately interested in my journalistic process. And in one of my all-time favorite podcast moments, the stars of Bohemian Rhapsody, the guys who play Brian May, John Deacon, and Freddie Mercury of Queen, did a dramatic reading of the Chronicle's earliest Queen reviews. The first 1976 review was by my friend Joel Selvin, not an early Queen fan, and the second one, the one Malik reads, was a 1980 review by Conrad Silvert. Uh, a night with Queen, flash, volume, and pelvic thrusts. <laughs> Mercury is no Mick Jagger. He doesn't have Jagger's subtlety or spontaneity. He doesn't have the same volatile quantity of restless androgynous charisma. He's not nearly as pretty as Rod Stewart, but Mercury does possess a certain kind of dark sensuality. He has a cute behind, which <laughs> he keeps at more or less permanently thrust out angle, and as his red vinyl pants clearly revealed, he has a sizable and perky set of genitals. <laughs> Is that Thank real? You. Yes. That's amazing. We're your concierge for culture in the Bay Area. I'm Peter Hartlob, and this is The Big Event. Gentlemen, welcome to the San Francisco Chronicle. Good to be here. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Thank you. I am uh, super excited already because most people come in here and they're kind of like, we're in the archive. We're in the archive of the Chronicle. We have photos here going back to 1915. Most people, you know, will pick up a photo. Oh, that's it. You made a specific request, Rami. What was that? Well, uh, I, 
I guess I wanted to see the earthquake file. I'm a, a native Californian, and uh, it's just it's it's something that is indelible in all of our lives. Uh, being from Los Angeles, it's a threat all the time, but haven't quite seen anything uh, like what happened in San Francisco. And like you were saying earlier, uh, it was one one of the few moments where baseball has actually saved lives. Yeah. Tell us about that. <laughs> there was a baseball game, 1989. I was watching it. I was a student at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, and the earthquake, so many people were watching the game in their homes. They weren't out on the roads, out where the Cypress structure, a big uh, freeway clover, collapsed. The Bay Bridge, part of it collapsed. So it saved lives, baseball, because people were watching the game. It was the A's and the Giants, the two local teams. Can't wait for the Yankees-Red Sox tonight. Yeah. <laughs> where where are you pulling with that? Uh, I'm, a, I'm a Yankee fan, big time. From New York, born awesome. and raised. Can't wait. We went to Fenway actually on this tour, and I may have brought my Yankee shirt and rubbed it on the walls of Fenway. <laughs> You're going to live to regret a little bad juju for them. I'm hoping. Yeah. yeah. Well, Joe, Gwillem, and Rami, we're going to work in a little bit of history. I actually have the Chronicles' first Queen review, mm. and it's um, it's mm. not pleasant uh but that's part of the movie the movie i think it's about family it's about the bonding between these band members i want to ask you guys what you knew about queen going in and kind of how you were approached for this um i'll start it's rami uh (laughs) i you know i have uh kind of the the introductory lesson on queen that we, we all have we've all heard bohemian rhapsody at some point in our lives um i I have a vision of Freddie Mercury and Queen from that iconic uh, Live Aid performance in 1985, July, broadcast between, I feel like I'm doing my radio voice, yeah. <laughs> uh, between Philadelphia and London. And um, that's that's what I knew. I knew. I knew Under Pressure from Bowie. I was a Bowie fan. Uh, still one of my favorite songs that we included in the film. Um, but n- not much further than that. I, mean, I I've seen pictures of the glam rock days, but it wasn't uh, really until uh, getting the role where I, I went into the archive footage um, and saw so much. Was I was educated in a way that uh, hopefully the film will do now for a new generation. I'm wondering you you look so much like Freddie Mercury. And I'm going to tell you guys, all of you, like as I was prepping my notes and doing my research, I'm worried I'm going to ask you questions as if you're queen, (laughs) because that's how I felt coming out of the movie. Um, Had you ever, had anybody ever made the comparison even before this movie? Um, That would be very flattering if you did (laughs) refer to any of us by our our character names. Had anybody, no, I mean, no. uh, It's, it's, it's one guy I think that, uh, you just can't compare anyone to, and that was um, kind of kind of one of the most difficult aspects of taking this role on. Is he lives in our minds uh, as almost this this monolith, this deity with a mustache, uh, the <laughs> yeah. god, a god with a mustache is the way I look. God at may it. have a mustache. God <laughs> may have. A, we think of God with a beard. I now look at God with a, a mustache and a yellow jacket. Yeah. Joe and Gwillem, I mean, how did you find out and what was what was kind of your first step? Um, mine was a bit of a str- weird way into it. It's, uh, I was doing... Um, and this is Gwillem uh, as uh, Brian May. Hello, yes, Gwillem <laughs> Lee. Hi. Um, uh, about 
two months before the film was scheduled to start, we did a, a table read uh, with the, all the producers just to kind of hear where the script was at in development and see the latest, like hear the latest draft, basically. And um, the only person cast at that point was was Rami, uh, and the casting director Susie Figgis got together a group of actors in London just to to read the script and to hear where it was at. And um, Susie was she's always been very good to me. She's always always been very loyal, and and she got me into read the part of Brian and said, "Don't you know maybe kind of." Um, do some research into the way that Brian May speaks and his voice and his gesture and just come in with a little bit of a performance and just see this as a as an opportunity. It wasn't an audition per se, but she thought it might be a good opportunity for me. So I did. I came in, did the table read and, and kind of brought my Brian May with me. <laughs> and uh, I think the producers, their ears pricked up and um, the following week they had me in for, a, for an audition and it went from there. So it's quite a unique way into it, really. And Gwil was sitting next to me, uh, and at that point, I, I had been cast, so I had been doing early research and watching everything, listening to radio interviews a actually were some of the most useful things because there's a, you can be a bit more candid, uh, or you hear Freddie being more candid in Hi. radio than he is uh, when he knows the camera's on him. But uh, as soon as Gwil opened his mouth, uh, after listening to Brian May for months now, uh, my jaw just <laughs> dropped open. And I go, okay. Uh, now that's two of us out of four. Thank you very much. Uh, it was uncanny from that moment, yeah. which almost invites us, uh, m gives me this idea that we should now carry on in character. And <laughs> well, you can do that right now. <laughs> yeah, it's only we our might. voices. You might. We'll give um, you this. We, had, we each had a moment of... of uh, you know, whenever we were uh, working, we ha we had ways of just kind of clipping in, tuning in to those characters. So you'd often hear us as actors, you know, repeating a, a catchphrase or something. Go ahead, Gwil. Yeah, yeah. We all had little trigger trigger phrases that, if we were kind of just coming out of character, just click us back in, basically. So for me, I'd always just kind of repeat this. Oh no, it's very interesting, and that was like a really good little. Uh, way for me to get back into the character. You had your own version. Yeah, just really simple. I'm just go okay. <laughs> just keep saying that until you know. It's it's weird how it just like bring it like opens up the world for you yeah. In, yeah. in like that particular voice. Um, my uh, connection to this was actually um, I happened to be in London when um, it was announced that Rami was going to be in the movie, and I'd known Rami actually for over a decade. You um, were in the Pacific together. We were yes, yeah. we were in the Pacific together. Um, which Will is so jealous of. Oh, you, never, you never talk about it. <laughs> no, guys. do we? Uh, <laughs> um, no, and uh, and so I was like, wow, that's really cool. And um, I happened to, weirdly, like, you know, one of the producers was also in town, and um, I ended up at the same spot as him, and, and my manager was being very aggressive, as he typically is, and he's like, hey, you should put Joe in the Queen movie. And um, it's like, oh, do you, play, uh, do you play guitar? And I was like, oh, you know, not as good as Queen. Yeah. And they're like, mm-hmm. And I was like, well, that's never happening. Um, and so then, but then like about a month later, I get a call that says, um, hey, you know, Joe, actually, I, I've been talking to that producer still. And he's saying like, actually, you look a lot like John Deacon, mm -hmm. the bassist. And so I looked it up and I just sort of like squinted my eyes a little bit and like brought my lip out. And I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. Like, that's actually really weird. Um, and so I like called my buddy. I'm like, you got to give me a bass guitar. So I was like, I'm sure they're going to ask me to like play, learn, you know, or ask me if I know how to play bass or whatever. So I learned a couple of the more simple songs. Um, and then you learned Queen songs. Yeah, I, well, not I, not having the part. 
Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah, because I just anticipated that the ask was going to be, we got to see you play bass. Yeah. So I, I learned just how to play um, Crazy Little Thing and um, uh, Another One Bites the Dust, because I was sure I was going to have to play that. Um, and they don't even end up asking me to play. They just ask that they want to hear the English accent. And uh-huh. so I just like... I basically just like they they showed me like an interview and they said you know just pull like a minute of this and uh, literally that day I like got in my car and I just rode around like taping myself doing it on my cell phone on uh-huh. my iPhone and then I just looked at it I was like actually that's pretty good I'm just gonna send this and yeah. I sent it along and they liked me I think right away basically right away it was like you know you're gonna get this but then it took an excruciatingly long period of time to actually get it and uh, queen was actually playing in brooklyn when i was like in brooklyn the day i got the part and i was like before i got i was like man should i just go there and hold up a sign like will you please put me in your movie Uh, and then i found out the next day that i got the part so that was pretty cool very nice uh did they at least ease you into it i mean what was the what were the first scenes that you shot (laughs) oh yeah we started the whole shoot by doing shallow end live aid <laughs> what? Um, concert which is obviously like the most iconic moment one of the most iconic moments in music history one of the greatest performances ever and that was how we started the whole shoot see i gotta give up my age i i'm old enough to have bought multiple queen albums and and a live aid t-shirt i had to get my dad's credit card um and i remember the performance that's the performance people are going to remember and have looked up on youtube and you had to start with that mm. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, trial, trial by baptism by fire, right? Yeah. Um, it, you know, in retrospect, it was one of the best things that ever happened to us because uh, one, it forged us together as, as a band. We had this shorthand between us that uh, continued through, through the course of the film. I mean, we knew, one, we had a camaraderie. I mean, we, we felt like we had been through something that uh, you just you could never articulate uh, in a way. You, you, if you chopped that up the way uh, film usually shoots out of sequence and you did uh, a quarter of it in the beginning, some of it in the middle, and some of it towards the end, would have never quite had the same effect on us. We started out day one, uh, as uh, what we filmed was the band coming out uh, onto that stage in Wembley. And that was our first scene we shot for this movie. And every day we did a different song for the first week, Bohemian Rhapsody, Into Radio Gaga, Hammer to Fall, uh, The Deos, um, We Will Rock You, Crazy Little Thing Called Love, Then We Will Rock You, Then We Are the Champions. <laughs> and on the sixth day... We rested. <laughs> we did we got to do the entire concert we put up three cranes we had cameras uh, surrounding the set on the ground and we performed in front of thousands and uh, it, it was an experience like y- you could never imagine it it's a truly uh, a rock star moment because as actors when you're in front of a camera y- your heart's beating it's it's drumming pretty hard uh tech uh, on top of that, going out there, emulating Queen in front of a, a live audience, um, it, it's a high like y- you could never quite imagine. It's it's truly special. We walked out after delivering that performance, and we all kind of look each other, looked at each other and held each other and probably bruised the hell out of one <laughs> another because we were holding each other so tight. Um, with this this kind of euphoric uh, elation and um, and this this kind of spiritual bond that we that we uh, created in that moment that never left us yeah. through the whole shoot 
Oh, yeah. it really and, and, and beyond. And beyond. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it really set the tone. It was a really celebratory way to start. You know, it's, uh, you start with a bang, and from that moment onwards, you just do think, okay, we can do anything from here. Yeah. It, it was sort of weird though, because like once we finished that concert, it felt like we're done. Yeah. And then it was like, oh, we actually haven't shot our first scene yet uh, <laughs> as actors, and so you had to like switch hats again and be like, okay, wait a minute, not rock stars. Now we we have to actually do scenes and and emote and and sort of like play off of each other in that way. And so it was this cool thing where you would just it felt like two movies in one like one this like concert film that we did periodically throughout the six months and then this like other movie where that's that was much more like something that we were used to um and so it was kind of cool to kind of go back and forth we we never got too um you know complacent you know we were always ready for the next challenge yeah yeah i i have to ask about um just the mannerisms there's it seems so complex as someone viewing it um, I'm wondering, for you, Rami, were you having to study? Were you looking at film? Were you improvising? How, how, how much of the difficulty of this was getting the movement right? I want to give the audience a song that they can perform. So what can they do? Imagine thousands of people doing this in unison. Huh? Well, what's the lyric? I'll tell you, it, someone tells you you're playing Freddie Mercury and it, it's overwhelming in a number of ways. Once it's that same kind of feeling I was talking about after the concert, it's euphoric and uh, there's a sense of, of elation and then there's, and then there's the, the, the come down of how, uh, how in hell am I going to replicate what this man did on stage. And then I don't, I don't know about his personal life. I mean, it's, it's the most daunting thing you could, uh, you could uh, uh, inflict yourself <laughs> with. Uh, and the only way I, I thought uh, I could overcome that was just by di- diving in head first. And the film was not yet greenlit by Fox. We had producers who had told me that I had the role, but I, I'd never signed a contract or anything, so I could have waited till uh, that day came. But I said, you know what? If this opportunity really does present itself, you got to be ready. I flew myself out to London. Uh-huh. Uh, I put myself up in a hotel, and I started forking over some money to get, to get some coaching from dialect to. Um, piano lessons, singing lessons. I sat down with choreographers. Then some financing came in from Fox. They're like, we'll give you a choreographer. I said, I don't need a choreographer, actually. I realized quite quickly, this man uh, was one of the most spontaneous human beings that ever existed. Nothing was choreographed. Everything happened in the moment. He's one of the most free people you could ever imagine to grace a stage. And I said, if, if I get have any way of getting in any proximity of that, I need to be able to do it at, at the drop of a hat. So I, I started with uh, a movement coach. Her name was 
Polly Bennett and for days in, in a dance studio, a massive ballet studio, mm -hmm. sometimes we would just watch archival footage. Sometimes we would sit and just work on a hand gesture. We would um, find out how he held a cigarette, when he inhaled a cigarette, when he would sit back in an interview, when he would look you in the eye, why he covered his teeth with his lips so often. Then I got I asked for the teeth to be made, and when I put those teeth in, instantly I felt my upper lip wanting to cover up that overbite. And you get this sense of vulnerability that existed that uh, uh, in a way starts to inform other aspects of, of the body. Now, now I'm holding myself up in, in a more elegant position to, to, to co compensate in mm -hmm. a way. And then it all starts to click in, in small ways. And one thing she was great about was not, not studying Freddie initially. We looked at the influences. We looked at... Jimi Hendrix and David Bowie and Aretha Franklin, but most of all, and this is gonna sound crazy, but Liza Minnelli. And we'd watch Cabaret or uh, Sweet Charity for Bob Fosse because a lot of that stuff, a lot of his moves comes from that. He, he loved him some Liza. So you're looking at what he loved. Yes. To influence your role. That's yeah. that's interesting. Even with his dialect, I didn't necessarily start listening to him. I started listening to his mother, who has a, a very distinct accent. Uh -huh. I mean, here's a guy who not many people will know was a, an immigrant. I mean, grew up in Zanzibar, went to school, boarding school in India. Parents had, uh, did, did not, I mean, uh, did, English was not their first language. And so... Uh, th there's something he does as well to compensate for that by having a, a quite quite a posh sounding voice. Well, I, and and I saw Queen or musical. I think it was musical uh, consultants. Are they on the set? Are they talking to you too about how you're playing these people who they are? <laughs> yeah, they they were really supportive from day one. Um, they were they they were very present for us and and. Uh, I remember our first day of rehearsal, rehearsing the Live Aid sequence. It was the first day we'd all got together as a band, actually. The first day we um, had Rami in the rehearsal room and all four of us were together. And uh, coincidentally, Brian May decided that was the day he wanted to meet, meet us as well. So he turned up and, you know, it was pretty terrifying, the fact of meeting him. But um, the first thing he did was just come straight up to all of us and just wrap us in this big old bear hug. And from that moment onwards, we knew we had his blessing. Um, and his support, and he said, "Do you mind if I have a if I watch the, a run through of your rehearsal?" We we're like, "Okay, well, we've never actually done it all of us together before, but you're Brian May. I'm not going to say no. So yeah, go for it." <laughs> so um, we started, uh, and probably couldn't lift our eye gaze up, up from the floor at first out of fear and terror. But uh, once we grew a bit of confidence, we looked up and and looked into the crowd and or into the audience and saw Brian May there with a iPhone taking photos of us and clapping his hands and with a massive smile on his face and we were just we realized that he's he was just so excited that this film was being made as much as anything so to it was you know it started out as being potentially a intimidating prospect having them on set but it actually as the film went on became a real motivation to have them there and it, it really kind of focused the mind and and gave you a bit of an adrenaline kick to have you know these legends in our presence. Um, yeah, he was uh, a very generous man in that sense. I saw the movie and I um, immediately, as I do after biopics, find out, all right, what, what really happened and what didn't? And the first thing I did was 
I saw the there's a big montage where they show all the bad reviews from the critics initially and I was like that's wrong nobody gave Queen a bad review so I ran down to the Chronicle archive where we are and found the Chronicle's first review of Queen uh, and it was pretty scathing uh, Joel Selvin who's actually a friend of mine uh, yeah good friend uh, but I was hoping I could get a dramatic reading from one of you it's just pretty to damning, get the people, isn't it? or if you want to take turns or read a paragraph. Okay, yeah, sure. So um, the, the, the article is entitled Flashing Lights Are Not Enough by Joel Selvin. British rock band Queen, sort of a Bush League Led Zeppelin, performed <laughs> Sunday at the Barclay Community Theatre. Although the show contained more than a few moments of satisfying hard rock, the bulk of the performance never rose above the ordinary. Joe Mazzano. Dozens of flashing colored lights, exploding flashpots, strobe lights, and various other special effects failed to conceal a basic lack of originality in the polished rock band. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Can you take the next one? You're right here. I've actually found one that just tickles my fancy. Okay, you got a new review. <laughs> is it, oh, is it, what is this? Date book. Yeah, it's Isn't the same one. It's it's the their next review. That's ah, their next so review coming is, in through town. This is. Uh, they couldn't get. They had to really lambast them. Yeah. They're just like we, no we one article them bashing them isn't enough. Yeah, no, they the, they all took turns. This is good. This is good. As you guys were giving your quotes here, I found this, which I find. Uh, I'll, well, I'll let you judge for yourselves. Uh, A night with Queen, flash, volume, and pelvic thrusts. (laughs) Mercury is no Mick Jagger. He doesn't have Jagger's subtlety or spontaneity. He doesn't have the same volatile quantity of restless, androgynous charisma. He's not nearly as pretty as Rod Stewart. But Mercury does possess a certain kind of dark sensuality. He has a cute behind. (laughs) <laughs> she keeps at more or less permanently thrust out angle and, as his red vinyl pants clearly revealed, he has a sizable and perky set of genitals. <laughs> Is that Thank real? You. Yes. That's amazing. What, would you be would you That's would you be thrilled with me if I came up with that? That would have been incredible if you actually did. Good, oh, just good at it. Yeah. Can you believe that's in it? This is one, two, three, four, five, six paragraph in this article. I cannot wow. believe I got through it that quick. Well, I, I appreciate that, and I appreciate you for continuing to sit here after reading what we said about Queen. Um, finishing up, you made this movie, and what do you want people to come away with about Queen? Oh, but this man. this article is. It's interesting because, you know, I think they had they had this quite a lot sometimes with with critics, but they didn't, they really didn't care. They knew that they had something so unique and so powerful, and they had the courage of their convictions to really stand by that. And I mean, you know, this was written in 1976. History um, is is probably on Queen's side at the end of it all, um, <laughs> because they had that courage of their conviction, and and I think that's hopefully something that you you get from the film. It's like these are four seemingly unlikely rock stars, four people that for whatever reason uh, probably didn't belong for some reason. You know, uh, I think with, with Freddie, he was a, he was an immigrant child. He was, a, he was bullied as a child. He was struggling to find it for, for his sexuality. Brian had his ho- own reasons for um, struggling to find his identity. And I think they found their strength and their identity with each other as a band. And uh, they, they were four incredibly talented individuals musically, but they only had a real strength when they were as a band, the four of them. And that's what gave them this family feel with each other. And like families, they had arguments and they kind of, you know, 
probably really wound each other up at times, but they knew that they always had to come back together. Even We Are the Champions is a, a, sort of a dig at the critics. It was sort of like, you know, at that point in their career, they were so successful. And every time they would come out with an album, it would get panned. And then they just sort of were saying, you know, we don't care what you say about us. Like, we're the champions. And, and you know, we is more than just the band. It, it meant we, you know, everyone in this arena, everyone in the stadium, everyone at home, you know, all the outcasts, all the people that we're playing to that are, that are, you know, stressed out about their lives or feel like things aren't quite coming together for them or feel marginalized in any way. You're the champion too. Um, and so I think that... Uh, that's one of the really nice things about Queen and, and maybe something that we hope people take away, away from the movie is that, you know, yeah, these, like, four, like, unlikely rock stars come together, understand the pain that people are going through, and with their music want to make it better. Um, and, and, you know, if they can get enjoyment out of it, you know, that's sort of the main point. That's what John always sort of said. Well, Rami, Joe, and Gwillem, thank you for coming to the Chronicle Bohemian Rhapsody, and uh, good luck, guys. Thanks very much. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us, man. Darling, it's 2 a.m. It's time for closing. The cops, they're all sideways, and I think you are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Thank you to my guests, Rami Malek, Willem Lee, and Joseph Mazzello. Executive producer is Fernando Diaz, and our editor-in-chief is Audrey Cooper. Our music is The Tide Will Rise by the Sunset Shipwrecks off their album Community. Read our columns and subscribe to the Chronicle at www.sfchronicle.com. San Francisco Chronicle podcasts are on Apple Podcasts and other streaming services. Listen at www.sfchronicle.com slash podcasts with an S. Let's go up